Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, our guest is Kevin Bopp. Kevin, he does uh, two podcasts. Uh, what's it called? Investing in Real Estate for Cash Flow and what's the other one? Mobile Home Park something? Real estate investing for cash flow, and then the, the mobile home park investing podcast. Thank there you go. Thank you. you were close. <laughs> I was close. You run a mobile home park academy. I'm, I'm just winging it all, so it's coming off the top of my head, and I'm not feeling the best. Um, like I said, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, is there anything else you, I should ask you? Like, what, what else do you do? What else am I missing on? I know you do a lot of philanthropy as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm just a normal guy, man. I'm uh, I, I invest in real estate full time and have been for uh, nearly 20 years now, and um, uh, yeah, I'm involved in a lot of different charitable endeavors, and uh, I've got some hobbies that uh, revolve around giving back. Uh, I do a big bike ride every year where we raise a bunch of money, uh, you know, a road bike ride, raise a bunch of money, and give back to charities, feed thousands of families during the holidays. But I mean, really, at the end of the day, man, I'm just a normal guy, just like you, Glenn. So <laughs> I just uh, I've I've I found my my, uh, my my feeling in the world as a, as a real estate investor. Yeah, and your your niche is the mobile home park part of that. So first thing I'm going to ask you is why mobile home parks? Why why did you choose that niche? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I chose it. It kind of chose me. Um, and uh, and that's not the only thing I've done. I uh, uh, in, the, in the start of my career, I was buying lots of uh, single family residential homes, fixing and flipping and fl- fixing and holding. More, more importantly, it's, it, that was kind of always my, my business plan was buy, fix and keep and rent. Yeah. And um, I, I did flip when I needed to. But ultimately, my long term goal was always to create cash flow. And it, that started by investing in single family properties, moved on to apartment complexes. I've owned numerous different types of commercial real estate over the years, um, everything from retail to office to, um, you know, tracts of land. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something there, but uh, in any event, I've owned a good bit of everything and fell into mobile home parks about, this has been about seven years now, and uh, just really was introduced to a guy that was in the space uh, by a mutual friend, had lunch with this gentleman, not really interested in his business and what he did. Uh, he just happened to be a mobile home park investor and uh, had lunch with him and we got to talking. He piqued my interest in many different ways and uh, I decided that I had to give it a shot and I, yeah. I I went and bought a park uh, within that first year of meeting with him, and um, and then I bought another one, and I bought another one, and now today we're in 13 states, and uh, this is what we do day in, day out. So. so, yeah, I guess you're in all these different things. I guess the closest comparison would be the um, the multifamily buildings. So what's the difference between uh, from going from multifamily into the mobile home parks? Yeah, I mean, there's a litany of differences. I mean, you know, I, I'll speak to it maybe from what I see to be as the benefits, um, because again, I've owned apartment complexes. I like that business model very much, yep. um, but I, I do choose to focus on mobile home parks today. So, uh, a couple of the big reasons is uh, there's a massive barrier to entry in our space. Uh, you know, mobile home parks are the only asset class that have a diminishing supply, meaning that. There are more that are being torn down, shut down, or redeveloped than that are being built, new supply coming onto the market. So that creates a massive barrier to entry uh, in that municipalities don't want these things. Uh, and a lot of the the parks are in locations that have higher and better uses. And so the chance of ever getting uh, approval to actually get a new park built is is very is slim to none, basically. And so that means when we buy a, a community, uh, we buy it in a good market that has a high demand for affordable housing, um, 
essentially we don't have to worry about someone buying a track of land down the road and building another mobile home community. And so we've got a massive barrier to entry. In addition to that, uh, I'll just try to rattle off a few of the big benefits that, yeah. that really piqued my interest initially and that ultimately are the things that have kept me in this business. Uh, the turnover rate of our residents, being that they own the homes, uh, is uh, far less than that of in an apartment complex. Uh, our normal community, it's a neighborhood. Uh, they own the home. They rent the land from us. Uh, it's very expensive to move these mobile homes. And so it's not as easy as it might be in an apartment complex where your resident decides that they, they don't want to renew their lease at the end of 12 months or maybe even better, they decide six months into a 12-month lease they don't want to continue on. They can very quickly pack up their things. They rent a $20 U-Haul truck and you know within a few hours, all their belongings are out. Well, in a mobile home park's a little different. Uh, that mobile home, you can't just hitch it up to the back of a Suburban or a pickup truck and, and drive it away. It's a little bit more elaborate of a of a um, of a move than that, and it costs about five to six thousand dollars to do so. And so our resident base is very stable. We've got some residents in our communities that have been there thirty plus years. Um, again, very similar to that of a stick built neighborhood. Um, you've got some people that come and go, but you know mostly people stay for quite some time. Um, you know, in addition to that. Uh, the maintenance and upkeep is much less significant because yeah. we're not maintaining ACs, roofs, plumbing, or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we are maintaining the infrastructure. So most of the time we do own the sewer lines and the water lines that run throughout the park. We own the, the roads uh, and the common areas, but that's very minimal. You know, We're not getting calls in the middle of the night <clears throat> when the plumbing goes out or when someone's AC breaks or something like that. They're calling the vendor themselves, and we're not getting involved in it. So just a, a, a litany of reasons why – we just really, really like the space, and I'll give you one last one that yeah. that I think is um, that I think is huge. You know, everybody, everyone that's listening to this the show should be aware that there is a massive affordable housing shortage in this country, and it's and it's forever growing. It, we're surely not even putting a dent in it. Mobile home parks are by far the most affordable type of housing to live in. It doesn't mean that they're the lowest quality either. And uh, in fact, most of our communities are the equivalent of a, you know, a B-grade apartment complex in, in any type of suburban market. So some of them are actually equivalent to an A-class. I mean, we've got some very nice communities. And in any one of the markets that you could find our communities in, um, if you looked at the lot rent that the folks are paying to live there, there is no cheaper place that they can possibly live in that given marketplace. I don't, you could pick any market that we own a park in. There's no cheaper place they can live. And so what that means is that you can do just about anything. If, if, if you lost your job, um, your husband or wife left you, whatever happens that's catastrophic financially for you in any given month, if your lot rent's $300 a month, most people in this world can figure out a way in 30 days to make $300 to pay their lot rent. That might not be the case if their apartment you know, rent is $1,000 a month, right? Yep. You can go to CVS and buy a case of water for $4 and sell each bottle for a dollar and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, <clears throat> walk with a $20 profit, right? And um, you, you, could, you could quickly make $300. And so I guess what I'm getting at there is um, our turnover is very low, and, uh, and, and we really benefit from the trickle-down effect, meaning that if folks need to downgrade from an A-class to a B-class or C-class, if they need to find a more affordable place to live – we're at the bottom of that realm. We're not the lowest quality, but we surely are the cheapest. And so it's a good place to be when there's a huge demand for affordable housing. Yeah, and you you mentioned that you're comparable for some of the lots, some of the parks anyway to a B class. How does the the stigma? Because I know even if I was gonna go raise money, if I start telling people I was gonna do it in a uh, mobile home parks, there's there's a stigma to the whole thing, right? 
Yeah, you know, the good thing is that stigma is starting to go away, and, and I, I like to compare it to this. You know, whether you're a single-family home investor um, or you're an apartment investor, you can pick any city that you that any of the listeners are in today, and uh, you can find a really rough stick-boat home neighborhood, one that's really scary to go into. You can find an incredibly nice one where all the white-collar folks living in. You find the in-between, the right, the middle ground, the blue-collar folks. Same thing goes with apartment complex. You can find the really rough ones. You can find the really nice ones. You can find everything in between. And really the same goes with uh, mobile home parks. Uh, you've got some really nice high-end mobile home communities that we like to call lifestyle communities. Uh, we have got a lot of those down here in Florida where it's not affordable living. It, it's a, a second home. Um, it's a lifestyle. Folks live in these communities because there's activities. There's three swimming pools. There's palm tree, palm tree lined streets. There's golf carts driving around. Um, that's a choice. That's not affordable living. And then you got the other end of that spectrum, which are trailer parks. These are mm-hmm. kind of the, the wrong side of the tracks. You know, hotel dweller, motel dweller type folks. Um, weekly rentals. You know, just not not. You can make money doing that stuff. It's a very transient crowd, not our cup of tea. And then you kind of got everything in the middle. You know, we got the folks that are just good, hardworking people that really want the best for their kids. They want to live in a safe, you know, clean and quiet environment. Um, that's who we cater to. And so, you know, we um, uh, sometimes we might buy a park that has a negative stigma attached to it, um, but it's in a great market. We know that if we can get out the bad, there's plenty of good waiting to come in there um, that, that are looking for a great place for their family, you know? So uh, again, the, the negative stigma is out there. Um, it has not been a challenge for us to overcome that because ultimately, just because it's a mobile home park doesn't mean that it can't be a, a thriving community, a place that is, is, is people take pride in and people are proud to, to live within. So that's really what we cater to. And you mentioned that uh, like a lot of the utilities and stuff are held by the tenant because they own the property. So if something broke or whatever, what things are you in charge of? Yeah, so basically the water and sewer lines throughout the park. Uh, basically, uh, our, the water lines, most of the time we own the water line going up until the actual water meter itself that leads into their home. And so if anything happened on our side of that water meter, yeah. it'd be our responsibility. If it happens on the other side of the water meter, it's their responsibility. The, the same goes for the most part with the sewer line. Um, the same goes with the electrical pedestal. Basically, we own it all the way up to the, the pedestal itself. Anything after the pedestal going into the home is the uh, the tenant's responsibility. So uh, the roads throughout the parks, most of the time, uh, we maintain the roads. We do have a few, a few communities where maybe one of the main roads is owned by the, the, the town or the city, and they maintain it, which is always a nice little bonus. Um, and then, you know, a lot of, most of the time we do not own the gas lines. I know there are some older parks that are built out West, maybe like Arizona and Nevada to where, um, you know, the gas lines might be actually owned by the actual park owner where most of the communities that we own, we don't have any to where we own the gas lines. The gas lines are one of those things that you don't want to own that infrastructure. You, you just don't want to deal with it. The gas company owns it. They maintain it. Um, and so that's it. I mean, that, you know, common areas we mow. For the most part, we, we're the ones that are in charge of mowing the common areas. In a few of our parks, um, we do mow the entire community, meaning like it's kind of just built into their rent. Okay. And a lot of that really depends on how the park was being operated before we took it over. Like we don't fix what isn't broken. If that was already the expectation, the residents are living there. They love the fact that the community actually mows their grass and takes care of it. Um, we just build it into the rent. And we keep it that way. That way, we don't, you know, rock the boat. And and then in addition to that, you know, with the grass thing, it actually looks better when everyone gets their grass cut in the same day than you know Bobby over here only mows his once every three weeks, and you know Mary actually keeps an impeccable lawn. You know, she mows hers once a week and pulls the weeds. So it's nice when it's nice and uh, uh, consistent across the board. So yeah. So when you're shopping for these parks, I know you mentioned like the gas lines might be something you may not want to own. Is there any other red flags or stuff you'd want to avoid? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, one of the big things I think that is the um, the big gotcha in, in this niche is the utility aspect, and that's more so private utilities. You know, what we kind of just talked about there was more public utilities, like yeah. the water and sewers provided by the municipality or um, or a similar entity. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of communities that uh, are in more rural environments. It doesn't mean they're out in the middle of nowhere, but it means that they're far enough on the outskirts of town that they don't have access to municipal utilities. Sometimes they don't have access to neither uh, sewer or water. Some they have one, not the other. But in any event, the sewer side of it is um, is a pretty big deal. Uh, you'll see different types of uh, infrastructure, such as septic systems, um, what, what's known as a w- wastewater treatment plant, which is basically just a um, a miniature version of the treatment plant that you know where you live, Glenn. Yep. Uh, yep. That they, how they treat the sewage, yep. um, and then uh, there's other types of uh, plants like that as well. But there's a lot of uh, there there can be a lot of liability with those. There can be a lot of um, capital expenditure associated with them if you don't do your due diligence. Uh, all those types of systems do have a uh, typical life expectancy, and uh, if you're at the tail end of that and you haven't budgeted for doing major improvements or replacements, uh, I, I, I've seen those things really bite people in the rear end um, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes nearing a million dollars. Um, it's okay if you budget for it. It's okay if you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, we have a, a park right now in contract. It's got a failing sewer infrastructure, and we know it. Uh, it's probably a $700,000 repair. Um, it's major. Uh, and it's not even just that. It's a timing issue. Um, it takes literally nearly a year to get the permitting to get it done. So, we, we basically are agreeing with the park owners. We're not closing on that darn thing, and we're not even letting our money go hard until we have that permit in hand. So we'll, we'll on the flip side, we'll spend the money going through that process and engineering. But I'm not buying into the liability. I'm not buying into the no. you know, Department of uh, Environmental Quality breathing down my neck in the state coming after me for what you've neglected to repair over the last four years. And so, uh, but we know what we're getting ourselves into and we budgeted the cost into it and, uh, uh, and basically done as much as we can to mitigate the risk. And on the flip side, once we get through it, it will be a huge opportunity because we're picking it up at a great price to essentially take on the, um, um, the, the major uh, heavy lifting that's going to take place. So in any event, and then on the, on the water side, the well uh, is another risk. You know, that's if you don't have access to municipal water, Wells aren't that big of a deal. They've been around, you know, forever. All right, you're just yeah. digging into an aquifer. Um, but sewage, you can't really poison anybody unless someone's out there drinking sewage. But you <laughs> I surely, not. I hope not. You, you surely can poison someone with uh, with, with water, right? I mean, they're yeah. drinking it, and, uh, and so it's, it's a it's a big liability. You got to make sure that you've got a licensed operator managing your system, making sure that they're doing the state required testing on a regular basis, and. Uh, and and if it if they haven't been or if the equipment's not up to speed and it's not you know removing certain types of minerals that might be in excess then you've got a liability in your hands. So it just it's not something to scare anyone away. They just need to do additional due diligence to make sure that they're um, covering their butt basically. Yeah, and for this type of uh, product, is financing more difficult? It, it can be. It, it's it's kind of like um, uh, it's very similar to you know I'd say ap- apartments in a way in that. Um, it depends on how it's been run, um, the size of it, uh, how good the books have been kept by the current owner. Um, and so if you got a situation where uh, the books are, are impeccable, you know, the collections are phenomenal, they've got you know, QuickBooks in place and they've been doing their job maintaining books and, and, and enforcing uh, collections and evictions and things like that, um, then they're not all that challenging to get finance. But yeah. more commonly than not, um, you know, we're, we were and have been a very much a mom and pop industry for many years. That's changing over time. 
um, I'd say it's very uh, often that we get rent rolls that are still handwritten rent rolls and literally uh, profit and loss statements on green sheets, which is you know very antiquated. It's very challenging to get financing when that's how the books have been kept for for many years. Uh, and then in addition to that, you'll find owners that collect cash from from tenants, and you know so it can be. But if it's a well well run community um, like the stuff we own it's it's all stable we've owned it for a while for us to go get a refinance or to sell it to another buyer that's qualified is not an issue to get financing i wasn't even going to tackle this but now you mentioned refinance uh so is there certain um i guess value adds that you can do to a park to bring its value up yeah there's a ton um you know as with any other type of real estate you know we um uh, we look for things like, you know, for example, uh, if the rents haven't been kept up to market, meaning that the market rents are. In fact, I just did a, um, I just had uh, uh, um, uh, Michelle here who works with me had her do some comps on a park that we're looking at. They're currently at two hundred ninety dollars a month. Um, I knew the market was higher. I didn't know how much, so I had her call around today. She called uh, five different communities, and what I found is that. Um, all the communities uh, range as high as 472 a month, and the lowest one, I think it's 410. And what that tells me is that the 290, this other one, yeah. um, is incredibly low. There's a lot of upside there. There's uh, uh, essentially probably $100 of easy upside, and it's a 150-space park. And so um, you can do some quick math there real quick, Glenn. So what yeah. is that, $100 times 150 equals times 12? That's an additional $180,000 of uh of uh, net revenue to your bottom line, and on a on a Which capitalization rate, cap rate yeah. you can do yeah yeah you, you you can figure out real quick what that a couple million dollars pretty quickly could be added to that community by by raising the rent. So that's that's very easy low hanging fruit. Um, some other things that we do uh, is you know we've seen many instances where being that these are mom and pop run, um, they're not very efficient with their payroll. They might have folks working for them that aren't doing a great job. They're, they're, they're just kind of uh, sucking up time, not really getting any uh, work completed. Um, we'll go in and kind of thin out payroll and make sure that we have just the, you know, the necessary folks working for us that we need. Um, sometimes we've seen managers where you know, they should be making probably like $15, $20 an hour. They're getting paid $100,000 a year um, to run a park and just things like that. So we can go in and operationally fix that uh, pretty quickly. You know, collections issues we can fix. There's a lot of upside there, you know, when they're not enforcing collections like no pay, no stay is us. I mean, if you don't pay by the uh, by after the grace period, we start the process. Uh, and, um, you know, when that when you get lenient on that, it gets out of control pretty quickly so we can fix that. And then one of the you know, one, one of the other big upsides is, you know, the the water itself. Uh, a lot of older parks were built to where. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, water wasn't a really significant expense. And so a lot of times park owners just, that was included in your rent. You got free water. Well, we know when you don't have to pay for it, typically people overuse it and abuse it. Yep. And uh, and so a lot of times we'll go in, we'll see, you know, a water bill that is is typically about three times the amount given the amount of residents that live there. It should be, you know, uh, uh, you know two thirds less than what it is. Yep. And we'll go put meters in and we'll build them back accordingly for their usage. And we'll find very quickly that, um, you know, the usage goes down by 60, 70%. And in addition to that, we get to that, that savings comes directly off um, our expense line item and goes to our bottom line. So it's a very nice thing. And then lastly, uh, a lot of parks you'll find have vacant lots, meaning that it could be a 100-lot park. There's only 80 homes that are in there. There's another 20 lots that are you know, infrastructures there. They're ready to go. So we'll go buy homes. We'll go buy either used or new mobile homes, bring them in, and and uh, sell them to uh, yep. n- new residents. So, that's yeah, awesome. that's just some of the good ways that we can uh, add a lot of value to communities. 
Well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, before you go, how about you uh, tell us about your where people can find you, your podcast, the, the, all your stuff, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a couple of ways you can find me. As Glenn had mentioned, uh, we do host two weekly podcasts. One's called Real Estate Investing for Cashflow, so you can go find that on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and all the other you know different you know, Google Play, SoundCloud. So actually, there's a picture of it in your background if you're watching this on YouTube. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I got a picture of both of them. So. Yeah. And then my other podcast is the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast, which that one is, uh, obviously, it's, it's about mobile home park investing. Uh, my other show is actually about commercial real estate investing, so we kind of run the gamut on different asset types and commercial real estate. And then um, my personal website's kevinbupp.com. You can find me there. And then our company, which you can see behind me as well, um, our investment arm of our company is Sunrise Capital Investors and that website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. So there's four different ways you can find me. I'm not too hard to track down. Um, one of those four ways that you'll be able to, uh, to, to reach me. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Glenn, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right, thanks. Thanks. 